I rarely have an opportunity to just pick up a book for my own personal pleasure. And uh, earlier in the summer, middle of the summer, uh, I picked up a book that had just come out by the name Hope in the Dark, uh, Believing God Believing God is a Good God When Life is Not by Craig Rochelle. And it led me to, out of the book, it just examines the book of Habakkuk. Now, if you are new to church, or even if you've been in church a long time, you've probably never heard anybody preach out of Habakkuk, all right? Um, so I'm giving you about 12 minutes to find it, all right? So if you've got your Bibles, look in the index. If you've got your phones, look it up, try to find it, get yourself there. Uh, but we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk this morning. But it also led me, personally, it led me to walk through and really examine some things that had happened in my life this summer, and the pain of loss, um, death and, and just some things that I had experienced and walked through with some people that I'm close to that I love dearly with my family and, and walked through some things. But, but it also led me just to a renewed examination of my personal faith and my time with the Lord. And so this is really a personal three weeks uh, for us, uh, for me over the next three weeks. And, and I really believe it's going to be tough, okay? I really believe it's going to be difficult. I really believe it's going to have some moments where we go, oh man, all right? Uh, but I really believe on the other side of that, that we're going to see that God really is good and that he really is good, especially in the darkest moments, especially in the valleys. And, and so as we walk through this, I, I do want to say this ahead of time from the onset of these three weeks, uh, because I, I have read through that book, there's going to be times where I quote directly a few things from that book. Um, sometimes it's going to be indirectly just because I've read it this summer, but Hope in the Dark, I always want to give credit where credit is due, so uh, make sure I footnote that and all those kind of things to make sure that, that we're on the same page this morning. But I, I want to pray again, and then I want us to, to jump in this morning. God, guide us in this journey this summer. Help and remind each of us, every single one of us, Remind us that you are, in fact, there at the mountaintops. But God, I thank you that you're there in the valleys. I thank you that you are in the moments that seem to be the darkest, that seem to be the heaviest. God, your word tells us that you are a shepherd and you are there in the valley. So God, I pray for those that are in the valley right now. I pray for those that are in this room that have pushed you away and aren't even in the valley. They've said, man, I don't, I don't want a thing to do with God. I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm weary. Draw them to you in the valley, God, so that we can see you're training us and teaching us and preparing us. So do these things in, in your powerful name. Amen. So I want to begin by telling you about a couple of our church members this morning, if that's all right. About 25, a little over 25 years ago, a young man and young lady were students at Appalachian State. The young man drove by, rode by on his bicycle, rode past the business building, and there outside of the business building was a young lady. She was preparing to go give a speech in her business class, and he boldly said, you know, talk to her for a few moments, and then she said, why don't you call me? And she said, I don't call guys, all right, but here's my number. And he, later on that day, called this young lady, and for over 25 years, they have now been together, married uh, in 1995. Their names are Brian and Jamie Hallman. And Brian and Jamie Hallman married on an unusually warm January day in 1995 in the 60s, got to go outside and take their pictures. A couple of years later, they found out they were expecting with their first child, Alex, 
And they had Alex, and a couple of years later, just, I mean, marriage is going good, kids are coming, you know, the American dream is taking place that many of us would imagine, and a couple years later, almost three years later, God gifted them with twin girls, Emily and Elizabeth. Life's good. The journey's going well. Emily and Elizabeth, now they have a family of of three children, and Brian and Jamie are, are just living, walking through that journey. About 15 months in, to their young lives, they noticed that they were not developing the same as Alex had. And so they began talking to doctors. They began to talking to specialists from 15 months old to, to almost three years old, really trying to figure out what's going on with our daughters. And, and as I was talking with them and preparing for today, I began listening to them. And, just in, in, and they said one day, about nine months after we began all this process of examination, we were at a specialist's office Uh, being evaluated, our daughters were being evaluated, the the whole situation was being evaluated, and a doctor came in, she said, all I remember, Jamie says, was we were in one of the coldest rooms that I've ever been in, blank, empty room, and the doctor came in and sat across the table and said, your twin daughters have severe autism. And she immediately, as a parent, now autism is a conversation that a lot more people have now, 10, 12 years ago, and so she, she did what every parent would do as, as she was sitting there at the table. The doctor said this, I wish I came in here to tell you that your children, your daughters, had childhood leukemia. And she said, why? And he said, because childhood leukemia can most often be cured. So she went home as a mom. All right? You moms know this. She's fighting mad ready, Right? She's going to look and search. She searched the internet. She searched every doctor. She was trying, in their words, to fix the diagnosis. What could they do to change this outlook? And, and she began to look. They tried everything. They changed their diets. They went to biomedical treatments. They went to hyperbaric chambers. They used every ounce of energy, every resource financially, everything they could pour into fixing their daughter's. And she said, our dreams shifted, Michael. There would be no ballet classes for our girls. There'd be no cheerleading, probably no sports. Maybe a few play dates, but probably not. There'd be no invitation to birthday parties. Instead, she said, we we traded those for tirades and screaming sessions and tantrums. They settled into, if you can call that a norm, they settled into a new norm for multiple years. About seven years after that, Emily began to experience some difficulties in her walking. And one one morning she woke up in what appeared to be a stroke. So they took her to the emergency room. They began to have an MRI, and the MRI technician was doing a, a head MRI to see if there was neurological damage. And the, neuro, the technician realized there was something going on at the base of the skull, so they began to, to scan down a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further, and from vertebrae number one to vertebrae two, number 10, there was a gigantic tumor, cancerous tumor. Now, I, I was with the Hallmans that day, and, and I remember being in the waiting room because Emily with autism, she has to undergo treatment. She has to be put under to be put asleep to to be able to go into an MRI. It's terrifying enough, right? And so she had to have be medicated so she could sleep during this time. And she 
she has this exam, and I remember walking into this giant room at Baptist Hospital, and I don't think you're usually invited into this room, and, and we walk in, and, and there was a room about half the size of this wall, and there are TV monitors everywhere, and on every monitor was a picture of their daughter's back. Every neurosurgeon, every neurologist, every doctor, every surgeon, every med student was crowding in the room because they wanted to see these scans. They, they'd never seen anything like it. They've lived their lives with twin daughters, now one with cancer. All they've ever heard is, we've never seen anything like it. The doctor said, you, you, you can't go home. You stay here for a few hours. Easier said than done. They went to their car, tried their best to, to keep things under control, and they went in a few hours later. The lead neurosurgeon from Baptist Hospital, two hours later, sits down with them and says, your daughter can't go home tonight. She's got to have surgery tomorrow morning if she lives that long. He said, I'm doing everything I can to make sure she has surgery in the morning. So they have surgery the next morning. They put in titanium rods of the length of her back. Uh, for several days, she can't move. She can't communicate. And questions are swirling around in their mind that all of us would have as parents. How could it be that both of our girls have severe autism? Question one. And how could it be that one of them has cancer? She goes through surgery. Several days later, she begins to talk. She begins to make a recovery. But the doctor says, listen, I, I just got to be honest with you. We, we're pretty sure that this is going to be a pretty aggressive tumor because of the size of it. And she's going to have to undergo chemo, radiation. That's difficult for anybody. But for somebody who pulls and grabs and removes things and not understanding things. Jamie says she drove home. She said, I, I was sick. I couldn't eat. She would not be able to eat. She was going to feel terrible. She'd pull the cats out. There's no way that this can be possible. And she said, I prayed a mother's cry that night in desperation. She said, I prayed, God, fix her or take her to heaven. 7 p.m. on the fifth day, the doctor comes in. He's smiling. <laughs> he said, it's not a two, three, or four stage. It's a stage one. No chemo, no radiation. And he said, this changes everything. She's had numerous surgeries since, numerous MRIs since. For the Hallmans, this journey's not over. For the Hallman, Emily has been numerous surgeries, numerous scans, but now she's resumed school. She, she loves Days of the Lake. She loves trampoline parks. She thoroughly enjoys the, the Shining Stars class here at Rich Fork. She has no idea that every six months she gets to take a nap, as they call it. And she undergoes an MRI every six months. Brian said he asked her one time, he said, uh, not expecting a, a, an answer. He said, Emily, do, do you talk to anybody while you sleep? Do you ever talk to angels while you're having your nap? And she replied instantly, yes. She doesn't communicate a lot. She said, yes. And he said, does the angel have a name? And she said, Michael. Now, that's not me. Trust me. <laughs> I am not angelic. You study scripture, the archangel Michael is a protector. And so this dad, in the middle of all this journey, in the middle of all this struggle, has at least some comfort that every time his daughter goes off to sleep for another MRI, that God sends the angel of the Lord to protect her in that moment. Brian said at one point, 
he prayed. And he said, God received all my anger in one breath. He heard my prayers, and then he heard my thankfulness in the next. I figured he understands me better than anyone else. He says, I continue to look on one hand and see how very blessed Jamie and I have been our entire lives. Alex was, is always a blessing. But it took me 18 years to realize my girls are a different kind of blessing. They still drive us crazy. They still push us to the edge. They still push life to the limit. And I would ask God, what are you wanting me to learn from this constant, never-ending adversity? And he said, I'm still not quite sure. Because tomorrow morning, they'll get in their car and Emily and Elizabeth might roll down the window and throw an iPad out. Seriously. They might take an iPhone and throw it in an, in a, in an aquarium. All right? Happen. Fish tank. They may have to cancel their plans that they had planned because life just continues to throw curveballs at them. But Jamie's made this statement to me. She said, I'm so glad you're asking about our daughters because I want you to know my daughters matter. My daughters have purpose. My daughters matter. My daughters have purpose. And if I could fast forward that into this morning, if you would allow me to do so, and just say this to you this morning. Your pain, your difficulties have purpose. They matter. A loss of a child, it matters. Your wrestling and your spiritual questions, they have purpose. They matter. Maybe it's a divorce from your parents, of your parents when you were a child and you've been taking the blame for the last 30 years of your life. I want you to know it can have purpose, it can matter. So wherever you are these next three weeks, I want us to walk out of here collectively together and be able to say, it has purpose, it matters. And it brings us to this crazy book of the Bible, Habakkuk. And in the book of Habakkuk, it's, it's an odd little book, all right, in here for us because in the Old Testament, there's prophets. And most of the time, prophets get a message from the Lord and they just speak it to his people. This one's interesting because this one, what we have recorded, is a guy by the name of Habakkuk, a prophet, is having a dialogue with the Lord. And instead of him just delivering the message, we get to hear him having a dialogue with the Lord. And then he puts it down for us to see what transpired. What was going on? And so Habakkuk has a vision from the Lord. He's allowed to see this. He's, he's writing this for the people of God. But it is deeply personal. There is nothing held back here in these three chapters. He's wrestling with the disobedience of his people, the people of Israel. But he's also wrestling with the question of, God, where are you in the middle of this? But I want you to know something, just a little bit about this guy's name. We don't know a lot about Habakkuk, but we know this about his name. His name means to embrace. Now, I don't want to make too much out of just this guy's name, but I think it's fairly significant because if you study the word embrace that's here and examine where it comes from, it's connected to a word called wrestle. And I'd like for us this morning to put these ideas this morning together for our journey for three weeks and for us to proclaim and for us to realize that the story of Habakkuk, the story of Brian and Jamie Hallman, the story that you're living in life it is one of, if we allow it to, it is one of wrestling and embracing. Now, 
Josh up here, who's leading worship this morning, he coaches wrestling. He and I were talking about this this morning. We were talking about it the other night, and he said, I can bring you one of those little onesie things for you to talk about wrestling. I was like, no, 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 no. Actually, I'll leave that out third service. That's not even a picture you needed to have this morning, all right? But I said, here's the picture, Josh. Here's what I want you to see. This, this word in my mind shows if you take apart and you pull wrestlers and you just stop and pause a wrestling match, what do you see? Wrestling and embracing. They're down on the mat. They're wrestling. They're seeing this take place all in the same place. And here's where I want us to just leave this place with this morning. We're not done, all right? You cannot embrace and wrestle from a distance. And some of you are at a distance this morning with God. But you cannot embrace and wrestle with the Lord, with the creator of the universe from a distance. And what I mean by that is some of you in this room are spiritually and emotionally, you're guarding yourself this morning. And you're saying, man, I'm here and I'm singing along, but I am not going to embrace God. I am going through too much. I have seen too much. So many of you in this room have somebody in your life that's not in church because church has hurt them. A pastor has hurt them, betrayed them. It's a family member that's a churchgoer has offended them. And they are angry and they are weary and they're keeping everything from a distance. And what I want you to be able to wrestle with with them is listen. You know what? Wrestle. Embrace. That's fine. But don't run from the Lord in your embracing and wrestling. Run to the Lord in your embracing. Don't let the difficult times drive us away, but draw us closer to the Lord. So here's what Habakkuk says to the Lord. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you seek, make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at the wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice goes forth, never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth, perverted. Let me just read a couple of those again. Or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you let me see iniquity and you idly look at wrong? You know what he's saying to God? Same things you've said. Where are you? What are you doing? Why are you letting me go through this? What's happening? The impact of sin is so great. It's all around me. God, when are you going to step in? The psalmist, David, said, Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David's agony is real. Habakkuk's struggle is real. And your pain and struggle, they are real. David's struggle in the Psalms, they had purpose. They mattered. Habakkuk's wrestling for the nation of Israel and their sin. It mattered. I remember standing in the elevator with Jamie and Brian the day of surgery. My wife was with me, and it was just Jamie and Brian and I, I believe, in the elevator. That's all I remember because of this interaction. And we're riding up the elevator, and we get to the floor that we're supposed to get off, and uh, somebody reached over and put the close button, you know? Not the open button, but press the close button. And Jamie looked at me, just mom to pastor, right? And said, don't tell me right now that everything's going to be good. I don't want to hear it. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Got it. Because in that moment, she didn't need words. In that moment, she needed presence. 
In that moment, she didn't need my words. In that moment, what she was searching for, what she was longing for, what we are searching for and longing for in those moments is not just a collection of words that maybe cover up the surface of our emotions. What we need is the presence of the Lord. And what I want you to see as we walk through this is there is hope in the dark. There is hope in the dark for you, not because maybe your circumstances change, but because of what God has already done for us. This is the beauty of Scripture. This is the beauty of God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. God did not simply shout down and say, I love you. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to help you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to walk through the most painful moments with some of his disciples, to grieve with some of his friends, to experience those difficulties so that we know that we have a God that knows pain we have a god who gets in the valley of the broken and walks beside you in those moments of pain i believe you're invited to wrestle and embrace while we trust the god who knows the pain so here comes the the answer from the lord look among the nations Look among the nations. This is God's reply to Habakkuk, all right? Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe it told, if told. Now in our minds, what do we hear right here? Here's the comeback. The Lord's going to answer Habakkuk and say, oh man, I got it. Don't worry. I'm coming. This is what I'm going to do. I'm on your side. I'm for you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tackle the whole city. If this was us, we go, okay, here comes the moment when they walk in and say, you don't need any treatments. Your daughter no longer has autism. Your family no longer has to face this struggle. We're going, yeah, here it comes. And listen to what God says. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Your Bible may say Babylonians, same people. They are the enemy of Israel. They are not friends. They are brutal in their military strategy. They are not good people. He says, behold, I'm rising up your enemy. That bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. As kings, they scoff. And as rulers, they laugh. They laugh at the fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. That's not what I was expecting. If I'm Habakkuk, that's not the message, Lord. How long will you let your people sin? And how long before you bring justice? How long before you turn us back? And he says, well, as a matter of fact, the enemy is coming to deal with judgment. Before I deal with all the different things you're speaking of, I've got to rid, I've got to judge, I've got to bring justice, I've got to do my part. The children of God are about to be invaded by their enemy. God was going to reconcile his people, have no doubt. We're going to see that as we continue on. But not before he dealt with their sin. Not before he dealt with their transgressions that he promised that he would do. 
How long will this go on? Then Habakkuk gives a response to the Lord. Man, I want you to see the wrestling and embrace here. Church, I want you to, I want you to hear This is a guy who is pursuing the Lord, a prophet of God. He's in this conversation, this dialogue with the Lord. And in the middle of the conversation, he's doing two things. He's wrestling, he's embracing. He's wrestling, he's embracing. Verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. I'm embracing your character. You are who you say you are. I trust you. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You're going to bring judgment on us? That sounds like a wrestle to me. You who are purer than eyes, you are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. You are holy. You cannot look at sin. I'm embracing you. I'm embracing your character. I'm embracing who you are, God. And then he comes back and says, why do you idly look at traitors? Why do you look at those who are foreign to you, that are opposed to you? Why why do you just stand by and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Wrestling and embrace. Wrestling and embrace. But the reality is, You can't have this conversation that he's having from a distance. And and if you, again, if you're in the middle of a struggle and you're in the middle of some difficulties and you're looking for some hope in the dark, what I want to challenge you with this morning is you, you need, instead of running from and getting more bitter and more angry at God, you need to know he is a God who is ready and prepared for you. He's ready for you to wrestle. He's ready for you to embrace He's not caught off guard by your difficulty. When you find yourself in the darkness, when your journey is difficult, don't run from God. Embrace God. Become more intimate with God through His Word, through worship, through a a personal faith in Jesus Christ. Examine His character, and you will find, we will find as we walk through this, He is a just God. but I'm thankful he's not a fair God. Because he offers something for us that if the rules were just, let's play fair, he goes above and beyond and does something for us in history and in scripture that is not on the level playing field. He offered us a relationship with a holy God through the death of his only son. When you look at the score and try to settle it up, that's not fair. It's just, it's who God is, it's his character coming out. He's offering us hope. He's offering us a relationship. He offered us hope in the dark. Your pain really does matter. You have purpose. Your past hurt. Maybe a family member that's not here this morning. They've got past hurt from church, from another pastor, from another purpose, from another moment. It's not lost. Your journey and your marriage that you've endured and is still not easy and you're deep in the valley right now, it has purpose. It matters. You're in a dark hole of depression sitting in this worship service this morning. It's hard for you to sing what a beautiful name. Every beat, God, you're you're moving. It's, It's hard. 
It has purpose. It matters. Quote from Hope in the Dark says this, What if becoming closer to God, what if developing genuine intimacy with Him requires you to bear that which feels unbearable? To, to hear Him through an ominous utterance, to trust Him in the moment of doom, to embrace Him, His strength, when you're weak with a burden. What if it takes pain, suffering, and trials to experience the deep and abiding hope of God? See, Pastor, you had me until that last part. Because I'd like to have the intimacy with God. I'd like to have the relationship with God. I'd like to have the, the moving forward in the journey with God, but I really would like to sidestep the pain, trials, and difficulties. But elsewhere in Scripture, James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Another translation says it pursues and it brings about, perseverance brings about maturity. Perseverance, hanging in there, sticking with it, wrestling and embracing, brings about maturity. It doesn't lack it, it brings it, it introduces it. Perseverance produces the fruit that we've been talking about for 15 weeks. If you look at people that you know that you would say, man, they are close to the Lord. I, I know some folks that I would look at and say, man, they are, they are just walking with the Lord. They, they have such a great relationship with the Lord. If you corner them and sit them down, they are some of the folks who have walked through some of the most difficult journeys you've ever heard. I could stand up here every week for 52 weeks out of the year and share story after story about somebody who we would go, wow, they're up here, I'm down here. But what we realize is they've walked through the same journeys. Their intimacy with God wasn't forged by running from God. Their intimacy with God was, was forged through conversations with Him, through wrestling, through honesty, through seeking, through listening patiently. They listened and they wrestled and they embraced. So where are you, God? Maybe you've asked that question this week. What's going on? Can, can you hear me? Are you there? Are you moving? This is when many of us walk away. This is when many of us get to the point where we say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Chapter one is enough. Chapter one is just too much. There's, there's not a solution at the end of this, pastor. There's not a fairy tale ending here. It doesn't describe Habakkuk and the people of Israel living happily ever after. That's all I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you for these next three weeks that you or someone you know is in the battle. You're in the journey. You're in the mode of asking God the tough questions. And I want to challenge you. Ask away. I want to challenge you. Wrestle away. Go for it. But do it up close. Draw near to the creator of the universe who sent his son as a payment for your sins and examine his word and the faithfulness of his spirit to minister to you and say, God, here it is. Here's my hurt. 
Here's my anger. Here's my pain. Here's my loss. Here's my frustration. I'll embrace you while I wrestle. I'll wrap my arms around your truth, and in the middle of that, I'm, I'm going to have a tough day. And you will see, as I have seen, as I have wrestled, if we'll draw near to Him, you can experience maturity that comes through trials, experience that comes and brings maturity, intimacy. Where is God? In the New Testament, there's a group of guys who ask that question. It's not recorded, but I guarantee you they ask it. Because their teacher, their savior that they lived with for three years and walked with was crucified, placed in a tomb. Do you think they were asking, where's God? Do you think they were asking, what's, what's next? Where is this? This is not what we thought was going to happen. Day two hasn't changed. Day three, I guess we better come up with another plan. No, we got another plan. Jesus walks into the room and says, hey, I am alive. There is hope in the middle of the darkness. I have conquered. I am moving. I am living. I'm not afraid of the difficulties. I'm not afraid of your struggles. Embrace me. Wrestle with me. And so today, I really believe that none of us in this room are here by accident. You're here because God has brought you here for this moment for you or for someone else. You need Jesus. You need his grace, you need his love, you need his salvation, you need his embrace while you wrestle. Because your life matters. You have purpose. Your child that's far from the Lord right now, they have purpose. They matter. Because your suffering, your trials bring about maturity. It really matters. So would you, over these next three weeks, would you take a step towards the Lord and not away? Would you take a step to the Lord and say, God, I want to wrestle and embrace with you through a relationship with you. Today, during our invitation song, uh, there's going to be some folks that are come, going to come and just stand up here at the front. I'll be down here, but don't feel like this morning. If you, if you want to, that's fine. You can talk to me. But you can talk to one of them. Um, they're walking through their own journeys, just so you know. If you want somebody to pray with you and just and you say, I, I just want to take one step towards the Lord today. I, I want to learn to embrace and wrestle with Him. That's where I am. I can't give you any more than that right now. I can't even give you the details, but can you pray for me to take one step towards the Lord? But now there's others of you in this room that need to take some multiple steps to the Lord, and you know it in your heart. You're here for a purpose and a reason, and you know that the God of creation has sent his son for you, and you need to confess your sins and move towards him today. And you need to embrace him. And you need to surrender to him. And he's ready for you. He's waiting for you. We've been praying for you this week. I've been praying for you this week because I know it's difficult to embrace and wrestle. But let's make a commitment these next three weeks. Let's, 
Let's draw nearer to the Lord instead of backing up. As we examine that there is hope in the dark.